1: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast.
3: Three tough tests for Champions Liverpool in their opening three games and nine points from nine as the Reds beat Arsenal 3-1 last night. But was nice guy Sadio Mane a little bit lucky not to see red? Jurgen Klopp also saw red, well kind of, but only with Roy Keane in the TV studio, as things did get a little bit awkward. Aston Villa picked up a valuable three points against Fulham, but alarm bells might already be ringing for Scott Parker, Ten goals conceded for the Cottagers in three games. Things looking bad for them already. We'll also be talking about the latest transfer gossip and Manchester United are on the agenda in our Floodlight Focus feature. Welcome along to Football Social Daily. This is the only daily Premier League podcast you can find every single day of the season. A new show for you, so make sure you hit that subscribe button and that way you won't ever miss one. My name's Niall. Alongside me on today's podcast, two Newcastle United fans. It's been a while since we've had that. So it's a warm welcome to Marley Anderson. Hi, Marley. Hello, mate. And Phil Hudson with a cameo appearance. He's been out playing golf on in the Northumbrian Breeze. But I think Breeze is probably being a bit kind, isn't it, Phil?
2: Breeze slash hurricane, mate. I was in the eye
3: of the storm. <laughs> well, I wonder if we'll have any uh, strong gusts of opinion today on the podcast. I'm sure As we always. will because we're going to start at Anfield, uh, where last night the Premier League game between Liverpool and Arsenal took place. We said on yesterday's podcast that we felt that Arsenal would have had a stronger chance this time around, Marley, to beat Liverpool. But it wasn't. Quite to be, however, Arsenal fans are kind of scratching their heads as to how Sadio Mane, who was pretty much instrumental in Liverpool's victory last night, was still on the pitch as an incident took place where he kind of went for the ball with a defender and an elbow caught Kieran Tierney in the face. Now all the Arsenal fans are up in arms on Twitter saying it should have been a red card. What's your take on the situation?
1: Uh, to be honest, I'm I'm quite surprised that he wasn't sent off in in the the sort of where the game is now with the VAR and, and stuff like that, you, you tend to be penalised for, for everything, uh, whether you meant it or not. I mean, if you look at the the uh, Newcastle game last week against Brighton, um, you see Bissouma with the sort of weird superkick-style thing on, on Jamal Lewis. He didn't mean it, but it was hard. that was switching music. Yes, exactly. Sure, Michaels would have been proud of it, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, but... You know, it so people might say, "Oh, you know, he, he didn't mean it," but neither did uh, Bisouma and and the rules stipulate that that's a red card. So, an elbow from Mane, it was it was pretty clear. It was uh, forceful. It was a a bent arm. It wasn't it wasn't kind of a straight arm in the face kind of thing. There was a there was a point of an elbow, and and Tierney copped it straight in the face, but. Uh, I, I am surprised it it wasn't given as a red card under the the current situation. And as soon as it was a yellow, you just knew he was gonna score. You know, at some point in the game, and lo and behold, he pops up with with the first uh, first Liverpool goal. You know, fifteen minutes later or whatever it was. So it was one of them. As soon as he got away with it, I thought, yeah, you know, we know what's coming now. So. Um, I am surprised he was still in the pitch for it.
3: To be honest, Phil, the the point that Marley was making was quite an interesting one because it did feel like the elbow was almost away from the body. It's not like he's kind of putting his arm up that you see defenders do when they kind of go up for a header or they're putting their arm up to kind of shield the player away from getting the ball. It did very much feel like the elbow was kind of pushed out of, away from his body and towards Tierney, which kind of makes him look even more suspect.
2: Yeah, but right, there's, there's, there's three points to this. The first point, which is the, the most important, is that Sadio Mane is in my fantasy team. <laughs> so it was incredibly important that he did not get sent off. The second point is that I don't think that there's a forward motion from Mane towards Tierney with the elbow. I feel like Mane's got his arm out almost to brace for impact. So I don't think he's trying to elbow Tierney. I think he's, I think he sort of half sees Tierney coming. and He's put his arm out to, to sort of brace and protect himself for a bit of impact from Tierney. That all being said, under the current letter of the law, it's an incredibly stupid thing to do. It's borderline reckless and he probably should have been sent.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's an important point to make because as Marley said, he did obviously go on and make a big difference in the game, but in the, these are the moments in games, which will always be kind of forensically analyzed and suggested that, you know, the difference was made where he didn't get sent off. Um, I think it's interesting, this narrative, Marley, about, oh, well, it's not in his nature. He's not a malicious player. But I never understand that argument. I I don't think it should matter whether you're a malicious player, whether you mean it or not. If you're endangering an opponent, which is the letter of the law, then it should be a red card. But then it leads us to a debate about VAR as to why they didn't you know, take a look into the incident and suggest that Mane should have been sent off, why the referee couldn't go over to the monitor. It all just feels so convoluted. We've spent the whole weekend arguing about handball decisions, penalties, VAR decisions and it just doesn't feel like that's going to go away anytime soon.
1: Oh yeah, that's that's here to stay. Um, it doesn't matter whether you've got technology to to clear things up or, or not, or it's just on the referee or the linesman or whoever it is. You'd probably say that you know, you're you're always gonna argue about things like this. Um and it probably you know, it probably won't won't ever go away, but you know, I, I agree with you when you when you say about um you know, he wasn't he wasn't that type of type of person. Well, you know, it doesn't doesn't matter. If he, if he did it, he did it and everyone's got that got that in them, you know, whether it's a mistake, you know, you can be sent off for a, for something you didn't mean. Um I don't believe Mane tried to to elbow E thought I'm just gonna smash this guy in the face. Like nobody ever nobody tries that, especially three minutes into a game. Um so yeah, I mean that that argument for me is is rubbish. I complete agreement with you. If you if you make the if you make the the challenge and it's deemed bad enough, like Phil said, you know, it's um you know uh, in this in the current circumstances it possibly probably should have been a red card but I think it was interesting as well. I was just watching the highlights on Sky Sports. They didn't even show it. They didn't even in the in the highlights package on YouTube. They didn't even show this like uh, this red card decision that could have changed the game. And I was just thinking, that's just gonna give people more more ammo for this, um, you know, Sky Sports slash Liverpool loving that they've got. <laughs> Conspiracy. So, yeah, I was just thinking. Oh God, here, here we go. We're gonna hear about that on social media today. But yeah, it's um, it's a it's a weird
3: one. I tell you what was quite weird as well the way that jürgen klopp and roy Keane made the air a little bit tense in a two-way interview between the studio and klopp stood on the pitch at anfield um i don't know what your take on this is phil i don't know if you've seen it but roy Keane apparently used the word sloppy to describe liverpool's performance and jürgen klopp kind of caught the tail end of the conversation from the studio and didn't kick off i don't think that's a fair description but certainly you know, had a chance to defend himself and did certainly do that. Um, it was slightly awkward; the air was a little bit tense, but it makes for good TV, and it was quite nice to see Roy Keane, someone actually go back at him for once.
2: Well, yeah, but why do you employ Roy Keane? You employ him for the fight, don't you? So you employ him for the for that moment where he goes absolutely mental and kicks off, and he's actually quite quite erudite on the game, and I, I compare his views to someone like a boycott from from cricket in the. It's very difficult mm. to unpick because he talks a lot of common sense, but equally, <clears throat> he's going to rub people's back up because he doesn't record his views in any way, shape, or form. In terms of Liverpool's performance, uh, they, they had, they're playing an incredibly high line, and um, it it could be construed that that is sloppy, and someone might punish them. But at the same time, they've, they've just dealt with Arsenal three one. You know they've they've had it. They've had a really tough start. And they've come through it with pretty much flying colours, so I think Klopp's within his rights to sort of say, "Hang on," mm. Um, mm. which is basically what happened. But I, like I say, th- those moments of like awkward silence like punctuate Roy Keane's broadcast career. So I don't, uh, I, don't I don't, think um, I don't think either man will lose any sleep over it.
3: <laughs> no, certainly I don't think Roy Keane would. Um, you like you say, you like, liken him to Jeff boycott. Jeff boycott famously is a man who says what he likes and likes what he says, as the old saying goes. Um, I'll tell you who did impress me last night, Marley. Diogo Jota, on his debut for Liverpool in the Premier League. Um, It led me to think not so much about how he could perform for Liverpool, but more about Wolverhampton Wanderers and about how they lost to West Ham in the fashion that they lost at the weekend. Four goals to nil, they got beaten by the Hammers. And just whether more Wolves players could maybe use the club as a stepping stone to move on to bigger clubs. We've seen Jota move on to Liverpool. There was rumours about Real Jiménez, whether he would move on to Manchester United at some point. So there certainly feels like there is a possibility that there could be, you know, Wolves players here and there moving on to bigger challenges.
1: Uh, well, one thing, the Wolves fans are going to be after you if they, uh, if they hear this, uh, saying they can move on to bigger clubs. But you've probably got a point. You've probably got a point, to be fair. <laughs>
3: I'm not... I'm not- I'm not sure that's completely outrageous to suggest that Liverpool and Manchester United are bigger than Wolves. I mean, I challenge any Wolves fan to come up with any tangible evidence oh, to suggest I know. that they are. They're aren't. not even the
1: biggest club in the West Midlands. I know that, but they're they're in the in their bubble of Portugal <laughs> FC, so they're they're quite happy to to try and you know congl- like monopolise every every uh, Portuguese player in existence. Um, and try and get them in a, in a gold shirt
2: don't worry Niall if, if we need to upset a fan base I'll take one for the team
3: <laughs> sorry Norwich aren't in the Prem anymore <laughs> yeah I can't remember who's right about that
2: um, <laughs> just yeah I think Marley's absolutely right but isn't this Wolves' business model isn't this why George Mendes is there to get his clients in the Premier League in the shop window and then get them moved to bigger and better clubs that's why Neves is there because Neves should be playing for someone with all due respect all of Hampton Wanderers better than them and they've got a really good side, but but that's their model. It's the same thing Newcastle tried years ago with the French lads and while there was hell on when they said, the club, I "No, you can't go to Arsenal for 10 million. We want 25 million for you because the club was sold to him as his stepping stone, his gateway club into the European elite. And and that's what Wolves are. That there's, there's absolutely no denying it. Mm. That They're a gateway club to the European elite. And there's no way in the current modern game that they're going to be any better than that, realistically.
3: Yeah, it's going to be difficult for them to really kind of break that glass ceiling or it feels a bit more like a concrete ceiling at the moment, doesn't it, with all the things that are going on regarding football finances. Anyway, Liverpool 3, Arsenal 1, final score on Monday night, but it wasn't the only game that took place yesterday. Fulham hosted Aston Villa at Craven Cottage and they lost again, this time by three goals to nil to Aston Villa, highlighting Fulham's fragile defence and that's being kind Marley I mean to be honest their defence has been absolutely awful 10 goals conceded in three games is it a sign of things to come for Fulham do you think
1: yeah 100% um, I've seen one bookies paid out last night on them going down um, which they've got form for doing but you know it's it says how it sort of illustrates nicely how bad they, uh, how bad they are but you know, if if you if you hadn't watched Fulham at all last season, and you sort of look at their eleven when they come back up, and you see Tim Ream at the back, you're just thinking like, is that is that the best you've got? You know what I mean? Like he's he wasn't good enough. I think he was in the Premier League with Bolton, God knows how many years ago, and he wasn't any good then. Um, and he's still not got much better. And it's like, you know, you need more than that. Um, and, you know, they went last night, they tried to make up for their lack of quality with, with numbers by playing a back five, which probably has some logic to it, but in reality they, they just all looked lost, um, and were easily picked apart by Villa who were who were decent. They weren't they weren't amazing, but they were you know, they were far, far too good for uh, for Fulham. So I think it's gonna be a hell of a long season for Fulham. I can't see them finishing anywhere above 20th possibly 19th on goal difference with West Brom if they don't book their ideas up but if you look at them two teams i think you know mm. West Brom have got way more about them in terms of uh, attacking sort of strength than uh, than Fulham i think um they're just going to go straight back down i think Parker will probably leave at some point as well because the mm. the owner is a bit uh trigger happy let's say um and he even took to social media last night and even that was a bit embarrassing by basically saying I've tried to get loads of defenders one got COVID, one was close to a deal and it fell through and another one was too expensive or whatever like that and it's just if you Mm. read that as a player like you know you're in trouble anyway you know but then you see your chairman saying you know I'm trying to get defenders because these ones are rubbish it doesn't exactly fill you with confidence does it you know what I mean
3: and also, he was basically promising that the team would play better in the next game, but I don't know how the chairman How does he can, know that? can promise that. It's just a exactly. strange thing to say. Um, from a Villa perspective, Phil, they have got more firepower now. They've signed Triore. they've signed Watkins up front, Grealish again staying at the club, signing a new contract. They do have more firepower, but do you still think that they'll be in for a scrap down at the bottom end this season? Yeah,
2: of course they will. Because anyone who's not mint is in a relegation battle at the minute. You've got... The, the top six, that you've got is probably Everton, uh, probably Wolves, even though I got gobbled off West Ham, um, and maybe someone like uh, I'll put Leicester in there as well, obviously, yeah. And then pretty much from the bottom half down, everyone can go on the journey. Um, it's, I, I can't, I mean, Villa, I think that obviously the Villa fans will be hailing this as Dean Smith tactical masterclass, and, you know, we're going to win the European Cup again and all that, carry on. But the reality is that they're going to be Pretty average and finish around 14th, 15th. I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that will be an improvement on last season. If they can finish comfortably in the bottom half, then uh, I think Villa fans will be happy for this, uh, for that finish. Certainly. Well, they ended up winning the game three goals to nil at Craven Cottage. Fulham in serious trouble. Scott Parker must be seriously thinking about pressing that panic button sometime before um, the end of the transfer window and seeing what he can bring in. Fifth of October, the deadline, and it will be transfers that we talk about next here on Football Social Daily, including plenty to do with Manchester United.
1: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Twitter at The Sport Social.
3: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. I'm Nile. I've got Phil and Marley alongside me to discuss the latest top flight transfer news. And there's plenty revolving around Manchester United. Who'd have thought it with the fans in uproar and only a few days to go until the end of the transfer window. They need players, but in order to get players in, they need to let players go, Marley. And that's where this latest story has come from. Andreas Pereira. I wouldn't even say he was a Marmite player. Old Trafford. I think there's a few question marks over his ability to perform to the levels that Manchester United expect. Rumours that he could be on his way to Lazio on a loan deal um, with a possible option to buy for 27 million euros at the end of that. As I said before, United need outgoings to improve their squad. They want players in before the end of the window, which is of course a few days away. This move makes sense. Pereira hasn't really cut the mustard at Old Trafford to the level that United fans expect. He gets to move away on loan. United get one player off their books. Uh, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I heard about this last night, you know, Pereira to Lazio. And obviously he has to leave Man United and he's clearly not good enough um, to to fit in that team. Uh, you don't know his, his best position. Um, is he attacking midfielder? Is he right midfielder? Do Man United even play with a right midfielder? It's more of a front three with a winger kind of thing. Is he as good there? Probably not. Um, so the, obviously the the exit door's open for him, but you know I, I put on our sports social Twitter <laughs> Twitter account last night that you know Lazio started off the the season wanting um well close to getting David Silver and they're gonna end up with Andreas Pereira. I mean, I don't know quite how they've gone that far backwards, but he does need to uh, to to go somewhere. And if if there's a willing buyer, Lazio's a decent club, and um I don't think they'll they'll probably have a look at him for a year and and then balk at the the transfer fee of 27 million euros or whatever it is, because he's he's not worth that compared to if you if you right. judge by the last couple of seasons at, at Man United. But uh, he does, I think he does need a fresh start and somewhere somewhere else and play games at possibly a little bit of a
3: smaller club and not get judged. On this sort of calibre of players he's playing with at Man United. Dan James is another player who was brought in by Manchester United in the summer last season and started off really well, actually. Scored in his first game in the Premier League against Chelsea, um, was known very much for his pace and the way you can kind of get at teams down the flank, but it's not really worked out for him in the subsequent time since then. Uh, another player that could possibly be out of his, uh, on the way out of Old Trafford, again on a loan deal. But this time to another Premier League club, Leeds United.
2: I, I don't think he's good enough for Man United. I think he's obviously an athlete, but so was Gabby Obertan. <laughs> and he wasn't good enough for Man United either. Um, it's not enough if you want to play at that elite level to be really, really fast. You've actually got to also be really, really, really good. And I'm not convinced that James is. Um, m- you know, middle of the road Premier League might be his level. I'd be interested to see Man United alone, any player to Leeds United, though, when they're in the same division. Hmm. That feels like a deal that carries political ramifications with it. Um, you know, the fan bases aren't exactly best mates. So it's all right when these are in League One or in the Championship, and you can justify it on the grounds of player development. But when they're in the Premier League, I, I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm sure the player will be keen on it, and probably he's are keen on it. And you know, I'm sure he'd do probably quite well under Bielsa, but I. I don't know. I don't don't see Man United alone in a player to lead United unless there's a significant cash transfer.
3: Now let's move away from Manchester United and talk about a defensive transfer, which we don't know is going to take place. I think this is all a bit of hot air, to be honest with you. But Spurs apparently interested in Chelsea's Antonio Rudiger. Now, I think Rudiger's one of Chelsea's better defenders, and of course. Frank Lampard will need to take a look at that defensive situation at Chelsea because I think that's what's holding them back. They've signed a new goalkeeper. Thiago Silva hasn't looked up to it in the first game that he's played so far. Plenty of mistakes in that West Brom draw. I just find that Rudiger to Tottenham is just an odd transfer. I find that difficult to get my head around, Marley. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in agreement with you, to be honest. I think any time where a club sells to rivals is is weird, um, and especially when both you know they're both part of the top six and they'll probably both be in the similar you know finishing positions at the end of the season or certainly hope to be that it, it does make not much sense in terms of why would you go and strengthen one of them um but i mean Rud- rudiger appears to be surplus to requirements um at chelsea I'm, i don't think he's any worse than what they've got i think he's i think he's a better defender than zuma um Kristensen possibly and you know if, if you're going to go with Thiago Silva all all season then then fine um but are you going to you know what are you going to do in in 10 games time and he's made a load of mistakes and looks like a 36 year old defender who's played in France for the last god knows how many years because you know there's no guarantees in football that he's going to be the defender he was at AC Milan and and PSG so um We'll see. We'll see what they do, but I I would expect him to go back to Germany or, or something like that and go and go and play for for a, a club back in his in his homeland kind of thing. But I, I I do feel sorry for him as well because apparently he was a big part of getting um, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz to to Chelsea. So if he's kind of been sending them texts all summer like yeah come and join us at Chelsea, and then they've turned around and said thanks Tony, but we're gonna sell you. <laughs> it's a bit of a bit of a sour taste that one, but. I suppose that's football. It's pretty ruthless.
3: Why did they let go of Gary Cahill last summer? If they're going to bring in someone who's three or four years older and probably not as experienced in terms of playing at massive games in in the Premier League, obviously he's not. But yeah, that one baffled me. I wanted to ask you, Phil, who's Chelsea's best centre-back? We're talking about Rudiger now, but are we're talking about the crop that they've got, who's the best out of the bunch?
2: That's a good question. Um... I, I I'm kind of a molly. I, I don't I don't mind Rudiger. Um, I think that they're all pretty much of a muchness. What I would say about Rudiger is that I feel like he's he's more of a leader maybe than the others. He's a bit more vocal. He's a bit more demonstrative. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing in it, is there? Between and I, I like Zuma, but he's got a rig in him. There's nothing nothing in it. They don't have an outstanding centre-half. They don't have a top, top, top class centre-half. They've got Thiago, who's old, as Molly points out. They've got Christensen. They've got Rudiger. They've got um, Zuma, But they haven't got anyone you go, wow, that lad's like... They haven't got John Terry. Um, Interestingly, though, with Rudiger, is he that much better than what Spurs have already got? He looks, he feels very similar to and Sanchez to me.
3: I'd, I would say my biggest concern with Rüdiger is the serious injuries that he's picked up. Um, it feels like he never plays a full season. And for some reason, Sanchez feels a little bit, I don't know, rash at times. I don't know why that is. Maybe that's just the nature of, of the way that Spurs have played in the last few months under Jose. But yeah, I, I'd be with you both. I think Rüdiger's probably only slightly better than the rest of the players that Chelsea have got in that defensive position. As you say, Phil, I think Zoom has got a mistake in him. I think he showed that last season. I think that Tomori's still got a lot of learning to do. Christensen I like, but he seems to have gone off the boil. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is really an interesting situation. Again, much like Dan James that you say, possibly going to Leeds seems a bit unusual. I think this is the same with Chelsea possibly selling Rudiger to Tottenham Hotspur.
2: I think... I think I can understand why Rudiger appeals to Mourinho though. He's tall, he's an athlete, he's massive, strong, bit bit about him in terms of personality, leadership. I, I can see why he's attractive to Mourinho.
3: Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on that one. Of course, the transfer window closing, on Monday, which is only six days from now. I wonder who we'll see in and who we'll see out of our Premier League sides in that time frame. Right, time for another quick break here on Football Social Daily and afterwards it's time for Floodlight Focus where Manchester United will be put under the spotlight. We'll be speaking to Jay Motti from the Stretford Paddock about what on earth is going on at Old Trafford.
1: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily from Sports Social. Find us on Facebook. Search Sport Social.
3: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social. And it's time for our floodlight focus feature, where today we'll be looking at Manchester United. The spotlight swivels round to Old Trafford, where there's a little bit of discontent amongst the supporters. And to tell us all about it, we've got Stratford Paddocks. Jay Motti. Hello, Jay. How are you doing, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Good to chat to you guys again. It feels like, despite Manchester United having a good end to last season, finishing in the top four, actually finishing third in the end, they had this massive resurgence of form. Bruno Fernandes came in in January, was an absolute revelation. Since then, after finishing in the Champions League spots, you'd expect United to have strengthened a little bit more than they have done. They've brought in van der Beek and that's about it. That lack of willingness to spend money at this moment in time come to sort of Come to the fore in the last couple of games for United? You're seeing the fact that other teams are strengthening. You're seeing how we've
4: started this season with, okay, we've got a win against Brighton, but Brighton were all over us for, for large parts of that game, and United looked very, very tired. Um, against Palace, it was as bad an opening day performance by a United team as I've ever seen. So, you know, you need signings, we need strengthening, and we're just not seeing that happening. And you think it's going to be a long season if we don't add more players than just Donny van der Baek, who, who has done well, but. You know, we've, we finished 33 points behind Liverpool last season. We're not going to make that up by just signing one midfielder.
3: No, I think you're right. And talking of midfielders, lots of reports in the press over the last couple of days that People need to make way and leave Old Trafford in order to bring new signings in. Now, makes you wonder why it's taken till six days left of the transfer window for people to realise that. But anyway, Andreas Pereira could be on his way out to Lazio. Um, is that a, a case of thanks for your efforts, Andreas, but moving on and get someone else in through the door who's perhaps a little bit more capable?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Andreas Pereira. I wish him well if he, if he does look like he's going to go, and when he does go, but it's just he's almost indicative. Uh, Pereira of the problems we've had I think he played 40 games last season and and he's you know he's nowhere near the level you need to to challenge the the, the top four or or above that he's just not good enough and yet we were were reliant on him because we just didn't have enough players you know we didn't have Pogba for large parts last season we didn't have Bruno um, obviously until late in January and you had the likes of Pereira and and Lingard who was off form as well playing a lot of games and it sort of showed why we needed to improve so Pereira you know He's one of those players that probably wasn't United Standard but played a lot of games for Manchester United anyway. So yeah, you're right, I wish him well and, and hopefully we can start bringing in players that are United Standard.
3: We spoke about Dan James possibly getting loaned to Leeds United as well earlier on in the podcast. Now, I thought I'd ask you because Phil seemed to think that that was... Unlikely, just due to football politics, United loan into Leeds United with Leeds now back in the Premier League. Would you go along with that? Would you think that seems a bit unusual for United to possibly do that? Or is it kind of anything it takes to get some to get some wages freed up?
4: No, I 100% don't think this will happen. I'd be amazed if it did. I mean, I'm not in the know or anything like that. But if, if United, you know, there's a lot of anger towards United's board as it is. And if they wanted to increase that anger, then just start loaning players to Leeds. So that's the ticket. doesn't matter whether you think Daniel James is good enough or not you don't loan players to Leeds United if you're a Manchester United. You just don't. It's just not the done thing at all. And if he even scores one goal for him or helps him in any way, everyone will be outraged. So, I can't see that happening. Dan James didn't have a great season last season. He's not had a good start to this season. But he's only young. I've always said, give him to the end of this season. See what he's about. And um, if he isn't good enough, then you move him on. And if he is, then obviously he stays. But, Leeds United on loan is a massive no-no for me.
3: (laughs) Anything to do with Leeds is a massive no-no for you, Jay, in any way, shape or form. (laughs) To be honest, I think that what Roy Keane said last night on the TV was interesting, that the honeymoon period is well and truly over for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Now, I would argue that the honeymoon period was over for Solskjaer at the end of the season before last, when you lost to Cardiff at Old Trafford. On the final day i thought that was the end of the honeymoon period and then he kind of brought it back and got the results going again and the consistency was found towards the back end of last season and through Project Restart. What do you think about what Roy Keane had to say? We know he likes to ruffle a few feathers when it comes to Manchester United, but is he right? I mean, is this kind of do or die time for Solskjaer this season?
4: Yeah, I mean, and listen, I know sometimes Roy Keane, I love Roy Keane, he's one of my favourite ever players, but I know sometimes he does see, say things that are slightly outrageous, but I think he was spot on and I think you make a good point. Yeah, you know, the honeymoon period for Ole and you know, like you said, towards the end of his, his first season. I mean, once we went on that horrific run, um, where well, we, I think we lost somewhat like 10 out of 30 games or something stupid, then that was it. The, the honeymoon period was over. Now, he's had a decent season last season. I think getting third was was, was progress. You know, I, don't, I know the points tally wasn't amazing, but you look at, you think, third in the Premier League, when you consider the levels that City and Liverpool are, are above us, unfortunately, then I think that was almost the best we could get. So, I do think, you know, he did well last season, but he needs to prove himself. And, you know, you can't keep sort of, Going back to that win against Paris Saint-Germain or saying, oh, you know, when I had that run when I first started, it's not going to wash anymore. He's made a a few signings. He needs a few more. But even that excuse of, no, I've not been back fully, won't wash wash with everyone. I do feel sorry for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because I don't think he's been back properly, properly this summer. But even so, he has to prove himself this season. We have to see progress. You know, he's done well in getting the youngsters through. The signings he's made, by and large, have done really well. But like Roy said, Kino was right you know, the honeymoon period's over. Your manager of Manchester United, if you're a manager of Manchester United, you're only three or four defeats away from being under pressure. You lose three in a row, you're under pressure. and all they're going to socialise under pressure all the time.
3: Is the Champions League going to be a bit of an, not an afterthought, that's probably the wrong way to describe it, but is the Champions League going to take a back seat, going to play second fiddle this season for United? Is it all about getting closer to your two biggest rivals, Liverpool and City?
4: It's sad that we have to sort of make this decision. I know where you're coming from, um, because can can this squad we've got, sort of go for it on both fronts in the league and the Champions League probably not and you know if, if you're asking that you know, are you going to have to rest players for if you have to choose one or the other you probably would choose to focus on the league because that's your bread and butter and that's what you play week in week out but it just pains me to have to say that because a club like Manchester United should be going for it on both fronts you know we shouldn't be going in the Champions League just to make up the numbers just over in the Champions League you know, we get a few ways during the. or we don't get ways as fans now. But you know, we've got a few games mm-hmm. in, in the group stages, and maybe if we're lucky, we'll get through to the the, the the quarters or something like. that. You expect United to be able to challenge for the Champions League? You expect us to be able to challenge for a league? And we can't challenge for either at the minute. And it's just it's just really deflating as a Manchester United fan that we're almost having to choose which competition we do the least badly in.
3: <laughs> so, if I was to say trophy and top four, like a domestic, like Carabao Cup or FA Cup, and a top four finish. That surely would be enough to secure Oli in the job for another season. Yeah, definitely. I think to be honest with you, even a top four finish I think
4: would we'll secure Oli in the job for another season. I mean, I know fans on social media and, and plays like can can sort of some of the fans, not all of them, can be quite um vitriolic against him. But I think that if he gets top four, if he gets us back into the Champions League next season, I, I don't think the board will sack him. I think they'll be happy with that. I think they'll think, right, okay, we're we're in the Champions League, you get the revenue from that you know, he's, he's consistently there. He's two seasons on the trot. He's got us into the Champions League. I think they'll stomach that. But it's how you get into that top four. You know, if you're sort of around seventh or eighth for much of the season, then that's when the pressure's on. So, yeah, I just think as a fan, you want to see each club challenging. I want to see us winning trophies. Even post-Fergie, you know, under the lights of Van Gaal and Mourinho, we won trophies. And, and that's what I want to see. I'm, I'm sort of sick of having to settle for Semi-finals and getting knocked out of them, and you know, being miles away from the from the, the the league leaders. You know, Manchester United's always been about silverware, and that's what I want to see come back to Old Trafford.
3: Just a couple more questions, Jay. Uh, is it will it be underwhelming if by the time next Monday rolls around, you've only brought in one or two new players, and they're not to the caliber that the fans are expecting? Um, it seems like there is a certain standard of player. Obviously, the Jaden Sancho thing continues to motor on and it looks like, you know, even as the days stick down, no one actually knows what's going on with that at all. So, I mean, is it kind of a marquee signing that the, the fans are baying for or is it just general stability and strengthening amongst the squad? I mean, you always like
4: to see a marquee signing, don't you? I think if we've got Jaden Sancho, which is the obvious one, everyone would be buzzing. But, you know, this club needs, well, this team, needs more than just Jadon Sancho and Donny van der Beek this summer. You know, you look at the problem we've got isn't just the fact that we haven't strengthened properly. It's that our rivals, those around us, have strengthened better than we have. You know, Chelsea finished level on points with us and have gone out and spent £200 million on, what, six different players, is it? I'll lose count. Manchester City have gone out mm. and spent a lot of money. they finished a lot uh, quite far above us. Liverpool, who finished higher than us at the time of me recording this with you, have bought more players than we have this summer. So, you know, if you're looking to, to sort of to progress and to catch the, the, the teams above you, how can you possibly do that by buying fewer players than they have? And less, you know, I wouldn't say less quality. I think Donny van der Beek is a quality player, but that's not that's not enough. And even if we get Jaden Sancho, which is doubtful, those two players won't be enough. We need at least, at least three signings. And those three signings have to be good enough to challenge for the first team. It's no good getting in mm-hmm. one or two players and then someone who's got, probably going to sit on the bench. The fact of the matter is, as I said at the top of this, uh, chat when we got into the back end last season Ole Gunnar Solskjaer couldn't trust him. he felt like he couldn't trust his fringe players he was playing the same players week in week out even though they were knackered and that's what's going to happen again this season if we don't bring in real quality and what have we got five six days left to the end of the transfer window it's, mm. it's very unlikely that Manchester United are going to do enough business to, to sort of get us where we're going to be It's hope rather than expectation but we need, we need to be honest with you we need Jaden Sancho and at least one other player and that player needs to be good enough to come in straight into the first team
3: and of course, that's going to set the owners back a fair bit of cash. If you're going to meet Dortmund's demands, it's going to be at least over £100-plus plus million pounds, um to bring him to Old Trafford. Just finally then, Jay, people will recognise you and your voice from full-time devils, but that's no longer. It's morphed, it's evolved. It's now turned into Stretford Paddock, which um, some people probably might not have realised. So tell us a little bit about Stretford Paddock. <laughs> um,
4: yeah, well, there's like there's two different channels on the Stretford Paddock FC, and that's um steven he does all that that's his sort of bag but what happened was um there was a few of us who are on the channel myself joe um adam McCall, Stephen house know, i've mentioned and we you know we were on full-time devils we were presenting on there and been involved with it for about seven and seven and a half years when it since when it started and then we got the opportunity to take ownership of it we we got together we bought the channel um because we never owned it we just sort of appeared on it and um, so now we own it we give it a bit of a, a relaunch and a rebrand as, as strepford paddock um and you know it's completely fan-owned. It's, it's there's the four of us who own it. We've got loads of different people that contribute as well. And um, we're just sort of trying to make the videos and put the content out that, that we've always wanted to, that we always wanted to see. You know, and and having the sort of the ability to do that now is, is, is sort of being in control is what we've always wanted. And you know, we we still get loads of different people involved. It's not just about having the established people that have been on the channel. You know, any fan can come on on Stretford Paddock. Parade. Doesn't matter where you live. Doesn't matter. What your connection to it, you know, is as long as you're a Manchester United fan and you want to come on the channel, you know, we can we can give you a platform to do that. And you know, we we have different things going on, and as as you expect, we're we're going to hold the owners to account as much as we can. We criticise what's going on there as well, and also try and get behind the team and try and back the the, the 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 players and back the manager as much as you can, but also being critical when you need to be.
3: Yeah, definitely it's what exactly what a fan channel should be. Stretford paddock, go and check it out on YouTube, go and subscribe to the YouTube channel and also check out Stretford paddock FC as well if you fancy. Well, I was going to call it Sunday League Action Jay, but it seems a little bit more serious than that. So, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's they take it very serious. Like I say the, my only involvement
4: is actually is sometimes I do the commentary for the highlights, but um they've got the sort of the, the sort of setup you you'd get from probably a a Champions League team, they've got like nutritionists and coaches and all sorts going on and they do all this analytics as well. It, it, they, they, they're not playing games, I'll give them credit. They've, they've sort of, they've <laughs> really, they're have sort really they really taking it very seriously, especially in the office when they're all in air.
3: If you want passionate fan opinion on Manchester United, go to, over to Stretford Paddock. Um, if you want serious, <laughs> hard-nosed Sunday League action, go to Stretford Paddock FC. Go and subscribe to both of those channels. Jay, pleasure to talk to you as always, mate. Look after yourself. Thanks a lot now. Thanks for having a good chat to you. Right, that's it for another episode of Football Social Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button because every single day of the Premier League season, there'll be a new podcast for you. No other podcast, well, anywhere does that actually. So make sure you do hit that subscribe button and you won't ever miss a show. Thanks very much, Phil.
1: Cheers, mate. Always a pleasure to talk.
3: Cheers, Marley. Cheers, mate. Uh,
1: I'm amazed we've, you've had two Georgies on the show and we've not mentioned Steve Bruce's inability <laughs> to lead a football team even once.
3: <laughs> I, had, uh, I had Phil a little five-minute chat with Phil before the podcast, so... I, I have listened and I have heard the gripes. I'm sure we'll come on to it. <laughs> Let him
1: air off some steam. Yeah,
3: m- make sure we uh, loosen him up a little <laughs> bit before he got onto the show. Um, but that's it for today's podcast. Don't forget we'll be back again tomorrow with all the latest Premier League news and opinion.
1: Football Social Daily from Sport Social. Find us on Instagram at Sports Social Official. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.